And so uh, Sean recruited him as, a, as the only New Englander on that team to come back here and reach New England. And now we are able to be here in this church because of Neil. That's, how, that's what, that is what heritage you have, brother. He, uh, ten, so 10 years he was uh, here on, as a church plant here, to here, was a French teacher in the area, but then God called him to go plant a church in the North Shore. And that's where our paths intersected 10 years ago at the harbor. I walked into the harbor church. Neil was the lead pastor. He immediately singled me out. was like, we're getting lunch or we're getting breakfast this week. Grabbed me. We went out to breakfast. And that was the start of two years of him investing in my life deeply. Uh, so I'm just so thankful for you, Neil. You have a great message. You have a great influence on my life. And I'm just, when I think of people who influence me, you're on the list. And so I just want to say thank you. And so let me pray for Neil as he influences us. Uh, he's got a message for us. Lord Jesus, we bless Neil. We, pr- we say, uh, give us open ears to hear and open eyes to see uh, what you want us to know um, through Neil. I pray that you would have clarity as he speaks uh, to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Phil. Thanks for that intro. I am so delighted to be here, and um, as Phil mentioned, just a little bit of the history, my heart is absolutely full when I look out and just see the passion in the room, when I see the diversity in the room, my heart is absolutely delighted. I'm just thrilled to be here and thrilled that you are passionately pursuing Jesus. This is what, you know, 20 years ago when eight of us, um, plus maybe I guess 11 or 12 if we include all the babies. But when we showed up 20 years ago, we couldn't have imagined something as wonderful as this. But this was what was in the heart of God. And I'm so glad that you're here. It's just fun to be back here. I am um, here with a few special people. Uh, my actual family is right here. If you want to see the... Yeah. If you want to see the digitized version of us, you can look to the screen. We look better... Because it's actually from this last summer, we had a great time. We're a little more tan. We were in San Diego, and uh, we had a great vacation there. Uh, my wife, Kelsey, has survived 10 years of being a Hubacher, believe it or not. We just celebrated 10 years in January. <laughs> Amen. She's my heart. Um, and then JD is nine. JD is nine going on 19 in terms of like wit and humor. So I think it's sad because we can probably quote more Jim Gaffigan than we can scripture, which is a problem. <laughs> But um, he's just a sharp kid. And then Hannah is exactly what you see. She's all sugar. Um, She's all sweet. And they're really, she's seven. um, And she doesn't have a sour or bitter bone in her. And she's actually the one that helps us all get to work and school on time in the morning. So she's also very conscientious. So I'm so glad. Love my life. Thank you for being here. I want to introduce another guest that I have here today because he actually needs to run. But he's um, part of, he's an illustration (laughs) for later in this message. But Colin Notice, why don't you just wave your hand? This is Colin. And uh, Colin is now a Ph.D. student at Boston College. He's accompanied by his friends Armel. Yes, you can go Eagles. Um, Armel and Kennedy are visiting. But um, Colin's girlfriend uh, is Vanessa. And uh, Vanessa's dad is the pastor of Pentecostal Tabernacle in Cambridge. They're going to hop out and get to that service. But you just remember Colin. I'm going to talk about him um, later in the service. And so, you know, one of the things we do here is... uh, we brag about people behind their back, and um, that's what we're going to do on Colin, okay? So just look at that face, get Colin in your mind, and remember him. All right, well, I know Phil prayed, but let's just uh, pray with me a little bit, and then we'll get into it. Lord, thank you. <clears throat> thank you that you have a word for us today. And we just thank you that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And um, you're rejoicing with us as we just rejoice really over your faithfulness. 
It's your faithfulness that has brought us together. It's your faithfulness that moves women and men according to your purposes. And in the end, you just get all the glory. So I pray that as we connect today over your word, we would leave changed, encouraged, and transformed, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, my daughter is very conscientious. Um, When she came home from school on Monday, we found out that we were the only parents of first graders in her entire school that let their kids watch the entire Super Bowl. (laughs) And so we just felt a little, maybe like we weren't the best parents. But I blame it on the fact on, you know, if you, and who watched the whole Super Bowl, like all the way to Lombardi, like the whole, okay. So you know that um, (laughs) there was, um, isn't that the name of the trophy? Did I get it? All right. Okay, thanks. Um, So... You know, if you knew, if you watched that, you saw that there was this really awkward moment at the end because poor um, Wolfson, I just forgot her name, the, Tracy Wolfson is the CBS reporter, is trying to get to Tom Brady, but she couldn't get to him. So, you know, there was this like minute or 90 seconds of silence as the scrum was happening and she was trying to get to him and she just couldn't get to him. Well, that's because Tom Brady was, you know, hugging Bob Kraft and he was also hugging a guy named Alex Guerrero. And, um, and you guys know who Guerrero is? Guerrero is his trainer. Make sure I got his first name right. <laughs> yeah, it's Alex Guerrero. So Alex Guerrero is his trainer. He made sure and gave him a hug. But remember, Guerrero is the guy who got Brady on this diet that is absolutely insane, right? His diet is no salt, which is right there. I'm out, you know. No sugar, no dairy, no caffeine, no um, white flour. And then the one that um, really is interesting to me is no nightshade vegetables, right? I didn't even know what a nightshade vegetable was until Alex Guerrero got Tom Brady on this routine. And the nightshade vegetables are things like tomatoes. They're things like mushrooms and um, eggplants, which, you know, I don't know. I don't need a whole lot of those anyways. But... (laughs) So Guerrero's got him on this thing. And you know, Guerrero's been controversial. Not everyone believes in his whole thing. But I'm thinking about Brady's diet. And I'm thinking, that is very restrictive. And I start to think about, are there certain things that Brady wouldn't gain unless he lost some other things? In other words, Brady says that he's in better shape than he was 18 years ago. Are there certain things that he would not have gained unless he didn't lose some of these things in his diet and in his lifestyle. And more germane to where we're headed today, are there certain things in the kingdom that are not birthed unless certain things die? Is it a kingdom principle that certain things are not birthed unless certain other things die? Turn with me to John 12. And let's take a look at this. Why don't you guys read this out loud with me? Okay, read out loud. If you have a different version, I think this is NIV on the screen. Just do me a, a favor and uh, join me in NIV on the screen. Let's read this out loud together. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. 
My Father will honor the one who serves me. There's certain things in the kingdom that are not birthed unless other things die. Notice in this passage, I love where Jesus, right at the beginning of 24, he says, very truly, I tell you. Anytime we get that, I think in King James, they do verily, verily. You know, anytime Jesus is saying, verily, verily, very truly, I tell you, he is laying down a kingdom principle that is unshakable and unchangeable. And let's remember the context of this verse. This was after Jesus had entered Palm Sunday, you know, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And there's some guys or some Greeks visiting also for the Passover. And they said, I want to talk to Jesus. They got a hold of Philip. They said, hey, um, we, we want to talk to Jesus. You know, Jesus famous. I mean, celebrations going on, big deal. And what's, you know, they, they get in. They get in to, to talk to the celebrity, Jesus. But what's Jesus' response to them? I mean, it's kind of as if at the end of the Super Bowl, I ran up to Brady and was like, TB12, you're the man. And he just turned to me and said, no salt, no sugar, no dairy, no caffeine, no nightshade vegetables, right? This is what Jesus is saying to them. They're saying, Jesus, you're amazing. Look at, you're coming into your glory. You're taking over Jerusalem. This is going to be amazing. And Jesus' word to them is, listen, guys, I'm, list- I'm, I'm living from a different principle. I'm living from the principle that something's got to die another, in, in, in order for other things to to live. And so my encouragement to you, this is so awesome because like Bree mentioned about her reading a book as, you know, apart from uh, the elders meeting, when um, Mark invited me to preach, you know, this message came to bear. And I said, I just texted him. He's like, what do you want to preach on? I was like, this, because this message was in my heart. And um, the, the thing is, I think God is calling us again to a season of sacrifice. Okay, God is calling us again to a season of sacrifice. It was a season of sacrifice that brought the eight or ten of us here 20 years ago. And when you think about Jesus, remember, Revelation calls him the Alpha and the Omega. We learn from Colossians 1 that everything in the world was made through Jesus. Everything has its being in him. What I'm saying is, you know, here's the totality of Jesus' life, but there's a moment where Jesus speaks, John 12, and he says, Alessa kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies. It remains alone. But if it dies, it bears fruit. In other words, there's a moment, three years of his ministry, 33 years of his life, a week, the Passion Week. There's a moment in Jesus's life where he had to respond to the Father's invitation to be in a season of sacrifice. And I think we too are called to the same thing. And we must discern what is the season of sacrifice that God is calling me to. What is that season of sacrifice? What does it look like for me? And as Mark indicated and the elders have indicated, God has done amazing things in these last 20 years. We're believing him for so much more in the next 20. So again, we must discern for the next level of what God wants to do here. What is the season of sacrifice that he's calling you and me into? And just to back up a little bit from 20 years ago, as Phil mentioned, I grew up right, let's see, where are we? I grew up in Needham. <laughs> I can't see. No, this way, yeah. Needham? Needham, west, I think. Uh, so I grew up in Needham. <laughs> Am I good? Directional people? All right. Um, so I grew up in Needham in a faithful Methodist church, wonderful place. 
um, but I, I needed Jesus, and I wanted more of him. I mean, I didn't know him as an elementary school. As a 10-year-old is when I made my first profession of faith. It was sincere. I knew that I needed the Lord. Um, I had wonderful youth group leaders who um, instructed me in following Jesus, and they modeled it for me. And um, I showed up at Baylor because I knew I wanted God, and I knew I wanted less winter. Those were kind of my... It, it, it came between Wheaton College and Baylor, and I said, I want Jesus, and I want less winter. So Baylor was the obvious choice on that one. But I show up at Baylor University, and again, you know, there is a church on every street corner in Waco, but by God's providence, he got me to Highland Baptist, which is kind of the parent of Antioch, Waco, and I encountered the college pastor there. You might know him. He's a man by the name of Jimmy Seibert, and I had never encountered someone who so was on fire with a passion for Jesus and his purposes to quote the mission statement, and it just rocked me. But wouldn't you know? that the man and woman who identified Jimmy, who called him out to release him fully into his calling, was another young couple named Mark and Susan Buckner. They had identified Jimmy. They had already moved on to the next thing that God had for them in Austin. I show up as a freshman in 1991. I'm blown. I'm like, who is this man? In fact, it reminds me of a quote that is not attributable to John Wesley. I thought it was John Wesley, but if you go on the internet right now, they're all like, no, it's not John Wesley. But that quote from not John Wesley is... I set myself on fire and people watch me burn. I set myself on fire and people watch me burn. That is Jimmy Seibert, you know? Man is on fire with Jesus. And we watch him burn and I, I warmed that fire. So during my college years, like many of you, it was learning kind of exterior things. And please hear my heart when I say exterior. Let me, I'll try to explain that better. But I learned worship. And I learned about evangelism. And I learned about prayer. You know, we did early morning prayer all the time. And I also had internal things going on. You know, I'd come from a family of origin that had a few issues. I'm sure I'm the only one in the room. But the body of Christ, us walking together so closely, was what I needed. The fact that people were speaking the truth in love to me. People like Kurt Mailer, who right now is preaching at the church that I had the privilege of being a part of planting on the North Shore. Kurt discipled me. He's now preaching at the harbor at Antioch Beverly today. But he spoke the truth in love to me over years, and it changed my life. After college, I didn't know what to do next, but I knew that I needed to stay with his people because we were having a God encounter. And I, I started to teach at a, at a Christian school called Waco Christian School, and uh, there are a few people involved in that school that you might know. I taught middle school English. Well, the middle school football coach was a guy, a gentleman by the name of Carl Gully. And um, I would be in the press box uh, announcing the game on Friday nights. And mind you, that the middle school football stadium was bigger than any high school stadium, like in a 50-mile radius here, <laughs> just to give you an idea. <laughs> this is Texas. So Carl's coaching. Sometimes on the sidelines, this guy would show up another gully with whatever girl he was dating at the time. His name was James Mark Gully. And <laughs> he would show up to watch. <laughs> I just lost my lunch with James Mark. <clears throat> Forget that. I'm buying now. And then there's a junior at that time when I started. His name was Jonathan Gully. He happened to plant a church called Wheaton, uh, Antioch Wheaton, and now works with a little company called Magnolia. One of his classmates was a woman named Joanna Stevens, but you probably know her by her married name, Joanna Gaines, 
because she also is a part of a little thing called Magnolia and Fixer Upper. And in my classes, I had eighth grade Stephen Gully, who's now the worship pastor at Antioch San Diego. And I had a wonderful young man, no offense, James Mark, but my favorite Gully was a man named, or a kid, a sixth grader named Jeffrey Gully. And Jeffrey sadly has since passed. But I loved these guys and I loved what God was doing. And what I'm getting you towards, I want to get towards season of sacrifice. Because I started, as I started to teach in this school, I started to find some things like vocation. Like I know so many of you are longing, you know, what, what am I here on earth to do? I loved teaching. I loved students. I loved watching students have the aha moment when they would get certain things. You know, in my case, I was teaching English, so writing improved and they expressed themselves better and all, all sorts of aha moments as we were reading books together. And I loved it. And then the other thing was, I started to, it was a Christian school, so I could share the gospel. And Waco, like Boston, has a little urban element there, so not everyone was Christian who went to Waco Christian School. It was the alternative to the public schools. And so I got to share the gospel with students. I baptized some of my students. Things were great. But then this thing happened, and that was God came knocking on the door. I would come home for, say, Christmas break, and I would start to say, God, what are you doing in Boston? And at the same time, God was moving on someone named Sean Richmond. And he was saying, Sean, we want to send you somewhere in the United States to plant a church. And so what happened to me was, after two years of an awesome time of teaching and just enjoying my vocation that I just found, I, I heard Jesus knocking on the door. And... I did, I was inspired by the scriptures. This is going to make me sound way too spiritual. I'm really not this spiritual. You can ask my wife, uh, who's right there. Um, But at the time, I said, you know what? Sean is inviting me to join this team. But I'm having such a good time with my vocation. There's ministry happening. Kids are coming to know Jesus. This is fun. But Luke 6.12 talks about Jesus before a big decision he had. It said that he prayed all night. And so I I only made it till 2 a.m., But I just said, Lord, I need to know. Do I need to join this team and go to Boston? Or do I want to keep going with this awesome ministry that I have with students? In other words, Jesus was saying, I've got a season of sacrifice for you. Will you do it? And again, I only made it till 2. And at 2 a.m. is where I heard Jesus say to me, I have many people who teach in Christian school. I don't have that many people who will go and plant a church where it's most needed. Will you go? See, because Jesus is always invitational. Even as Mark was leading in your prayer right there, he's always invitational. But I want to, let's talk about that for a second. Let's talk about what the invitation looks like. Because I want you to know, when when Jesus invites you to a season of sacrifice, what does it smell like? What does it look like? And for that, we're going to look at Luke chapter 9. So turn with me to Luke chapter 9, verses 10 to 17. Because when God comes knocking on your door, again, I I love Mark's heart. Um, Mark's heart as he um, pastored you through this 100-100. It's, hey, pressure from man is just going to end up leaving you frustrated, angry, and annoyed or feeling like you you are, you know, feeling guilty, as Mark said. But when the invitation comes from the Lord, you can trust your leaders. Your leaders are saying, let's do 100-100. You can trust them. You know, if you're on the fence, just by faith, say yes. Watch, God will show up. But you, we want the invitation to be from Jesus to the season of sacrifice. Amen? Because if it's not, you get annoyed. This is what the invitation from Jesus smells like. This is what the invitation from Jesus looks like. Let's read these verses together again um, from Luke 9. Let's read them from the screen. 
When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we are in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there, but he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. uh, Yeah, awesome. I probably finished the citation too early. (laughs) Let's see. Is there more? Oh, good. Yay. Okay. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. What does it smell like? What does it taste like? What does it sound like when Jesus invites you into a season of sacrifice? It looks exactly like Luke 9, chapter 13. Let's put verse 13 back on the board. Read to me what's in quotes in verse 13. Let's read it, to, let's read it together. You give them something to eat. When Jesus is inviting you into a season of sacrifice, he's saying, you give them something to eat. And there's 5,000 people, plus 5,000 wives, plus 10,000 kids there. It's way beyond your natural ability. Okay? I'm going to channel a little Bill Johnson here. You might know him. He's a preacher from Redding, California, and Bethel. Man, he had a series of of messages last summer that were so powerful because he harped on this so well. And I love it. So he says it a little bit better than I do. I'm going to do my best right now. One of the favorite things that God does, one of his specialties is to invite you into something that you cannot do. That's what he does all the time. Because he gets the glory. It's for your good. And it's amazing what happens. He's always inviting you and me. This is what it smells like. A season of sacrifice comes on you because there's a need and God's saying, deal with it. Go do it and watch how I show up in the process. Listen, I have a hunch. Mark and Susan, I think that when they came off the field, they had a lot of ideas about what they wanted to do and what they didn't want to do. And in God's mercy and God's grace, they were pressed into service here in the best way. And you are all the better for it. In other words, I think that at some moment, and I haven't talked about this at great length with Mark and Susan. I think we'll have lunch if James Mark won't with me anymore. So <laughs> maybe we'll talk about this. Yeah. There we go. And, um, but they came here, and I know Mark thanked us yesterday for allowing him to be a part of what was going on here. I think Laura hit the nail on the head saying, thank you, Susan and Mark, for walking with us. But Mark and Susan, they were, as, from my perspective, pressed into service. There was a need. Here was Antioch Brighton, and there was a yes in their hearts, and we're all the better for it. Amen? And so that's what it looks like. 
something impossible for men, impossible for people, but Jesus says, you give them something to eat. During the summer, or sorry, during the year of 06 and 07, Sean asked me twice if I would consider planting on the North Shore. I had been teaching at a school down the road, Newton North High School, and I knew that my season was coming to an end, but Sean asked me twice, and I said no twice. And then the third time he asked me, and then that's when the Lord spoke. And this is precisely what the Lord spoke. I was... I had previously thought that I would be overseas. I mean, I was a French teacher. I love being overseas. I mean, I I really thrive in an overseas environment. But it wasn't until Sean asked a third time, and I actually asked the Lord to speak into it. And I was quite aware of certain things about U.S. church planning where I felt like I had holes in my experience and my skills. But Jesus said, you give them something to eat. And I said, yes, Lord. And man, it's the best thing I've ever done in my entire life was be a part of launching the harbor. There's an incredible church on the North Shore, Antioch Beverly, and it's just been our joy. It's been Kelsey and I's joy to see that church flourish. Season of sacrifice. What it smells like, what it looks like when Jesus invites you to lay down your life so that others can live. So you restrain yourself so others gain. You die so others live. That's what it looks like. It's when he says, you give them something to eat and watch what I'll do. I'll provide miraculously. Amen? We need that. I need it in my current position now. So the thing is, the reason why, the reason, a, a key reason why you need to have that invitation from the Lord is because you will be misunderstood. Okay, when you say yes to Jesus, when you say yes to the season of sacrifice, right? Like when you guys are praying, 100 hours of prayer, um, when you guys are sharing the gospel on campus, when you're pushing your envelope uh, evangelism-wise, people are going to not understand you. But if that invitation is from Jesus, you won't be rocked. When we first showed up 20 years ago, the normal thing was, why, why, why in the world does Brighton need another church? Because you look at the landscape, see, there's a white steeple over there, there's this church over there. You, you know, with your eyes, you see these church buildings. Why in the world? I mean, kind of from the townies of Brighton, the response was, why in the world another church? The reason was because we had been pressed into service because we had been invited into a season of sacrifice. We all sacrificed something. As I mentioned to you, I sacrificed a little joy in my vocation. Sean and Laura, if you talk to Sean and Laura, Laura especially sacrificed the, the, um, a culture that her kids were going to grow up in that she trusted. You know? Has, is, anyone, is anyone here not from New England? Okay, so you people understand what it's like to walk into a Walmart and have someone greet you. It's like, oh my God, you're like, whoa, right? Or you walk into a store and they say, how can I help, right? This is not a common New England experience, right? And you also know what it's like to, to purchase property at a reasonable rate and things like that, right? There are a lot of other places that are easier to live than New England. And so for Laura, what she gave up you know, she, I, like, seriously, Laura's concerned that her children would have a strange accent as well. <laughs> it's a real fear. <laughs> it's a real fear. That's what she gave up. Right? We talked to Jeff, Audrey, uh, the Abshires, um, other ones on the team, Julian Gray. Everyone gave up something. And now, what is the Lord asking you to lay down for these next 20? I think the last 20 
or I should say the next 20 are going to be better than the first 20. And they should be because it's glory to glory is what the kingdom says. And I'm so excited for you. But that invitation, as I was saying, that invitation from the Lord is critical because otherwise you'll be crushed by the fear of man and the opinions of others. In my current position, I I work for um, the Family Policy Council of New Hampshire. It's called Cornerstone. And man, I mean, talk about, think about like, what's the worst Thanksgiving dinner you could ever have? It's when religion and politics are being talked about at the same time. And I live in that place right now, okay? I live in a place where um, my role as a church engagement guy, my job is to get pastors in New Hampshire to care about what's going on in Concord in terms of policy at the state house. And my, my, my joy and my, My goal is to get 200 pastors who will reach out to their legislators in New Hampshire because New Hampshire is like the Wild West when it comes to the legislature. They have 400 reps, 24 senators. To give you perspective, New Hampshire is the third largest representative body on the earth after Congress of the U.S. and after U.K. Parliament for a population of only 1.2 million. It's just really insane. They only make $100 a year, so it is a citizen legislature. But I want to find, I'm looking for 200 pastors who will reach out to the legislators and love on them. Now, I get, I get in the crosshairs all the time. What's the, the season of sacrifice for me is like, I really don't enjoy being um, exposed. And I'm really exposed right now. And I've got people, you know, again, politics, everyone has an opinion about everything. And so no matter what I do, someone's mad at me. But I'll tell you what, I know that Jesus pressed me into service for this season. And I know that I'm a kingdom man. And when God's kingdom comes, it's wonderful. The Thursday before Christmas, a bunch of pastors from the North Country, so this is rural New Hampshire, way up north, they um, had got me connected with their legislator. And we were talking about the opioid crisis. It's always fun to find things that pretty much everyone can agree on. Opioid crisis, bad, okay? (laughs) Whether you're R or D, you just believe that's bad and we need to deal with it, okay? Republican or Democrat. So I, sorry. So I got, um, we were getting together, and uh, we had our meeting, you know, they're like, hey, how can the churches help, you know, we need transportation for guys who are on recovery, you know, they can't get to their jobs, you know, are there church vans that are just sitting around that they could use during the week to get to their jobs? Talking about that. Well, everyone leaves the room. It's me and the representative. And uh, she just begins to share her God story with me. Like, I grew up this way, this, that, and the other. And then she proceeds to let me into some of her deepest places of challenge and pain. And I'm like, whoa. And I had planned already to, you know, close up with prayer. You know, she knows who I am. I'm a cornerstone guy. I'm I'm a pastor. But I said, Representative, can I just pray for you right now? She's like, please do. And I pray. And it was not the most glorious prayer I've ever prayed, but it was God's hour for her. So she just starts to weep because God loves encountering people because he loves, he loves it when people meet him. So I start to pray for her. You know, we come out of prayer time and she's like, there's something different about you. She said, I have to see you in Concord. You know, there's a, there's a cafeteria at the bottom of the state house where all the legislators hang out in between sessions. She's like, we need to hang out. And wouldn't you know, we're like buddies now. She sponsored a great bill against human trafficking and I'm like calling every church to get involved with this bill. And she called me the other day. He's like, Neil, I need some advice. I mean, she's having a kingdom moment. The point is, I said yes to Jesus to take this thing. A lot of people don't understand what I'm doing, but I've got, my, I've got my marching orders for this season of sacrifice. And so you need yours. You need your marching orders for the seed of sacrifice. So when you don't feel like getting up at 6.30 to pray, you still get up and pray. So when you share the gospel with a friend and they don't get it, it doesn't rock your world. It's just you're being faithful. 
because that's what the season of sacrifice looks like. I just want to say three more things, if I can. <laughs> Good enough? Um, Mark and Susan mentioned it, you know, this, and, and so did Bree. For the next 20 years, the season of sacrifice, you know, for us to get us positioned right for the next 20 years, this season of sacrifice that Mark and the leadership team are calling you to, it will be marked by two things. As Bree mentioned, as every move of God is marked by. Number one, it's got to be marked by powerful, mountain-moving prayer. And really, don't worry about the, um, your, don't worry about a lot of things like posture or words or things like that, but worry about the heart and worry about the faith level and um, press in. I, I guess what I want to say is let's find joy again in the house of prayer. I found, you know, when I was in college, our early morning prayer meetings were like the funnest meeting of the week because we were just calling out to God. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a product of imagination because you're dreaming with Jesus of what is possible here. God could light up Boston in an incredible way. And wouldn't that be amazing? When I taught school at Newton North, I felt so restricted by my inability to share the gospel in relationship to what I'd experienced at Waco Christian School. I mean, for obvious reasons. But you know what I could do and no one could stop me? I took my roster of 80 students and before the school year started, I would go to this Catholic retreat center called St. Benedict's Abbey. I'd usually get there two or three times a year. Again, I'm not, you know, ask my wife, I'm really not this spiritual anymore, but I was single then. And so (laughs) I would go to this retreat center and I would take that list of my 80 students before I ever met them and I'd pray. And say, Lord Jesus, show up in this person's life. I don't know who they are yet. You know, this is like late August. Now I take my little retreat and say, Lord, you've got to show up. Because I had faith and because I had joy in the house of prayer. And that's something that Jesus can impart to us. Joy in the house of prayer. As you imagine what God can do in people's lives. Kelsey and I met because we met doing Young Life. We launched Young Life in our, in our high school. Because I'm sitting here watching 80 students go through a year. And the only, just so you know... Things, I mean, God's doing wonderful things in, in Eastern Mass here because um, when I was a teacher, the only evangelical school in Newton was the Chinese ev- Evangelical Church, which is a wonderful body. But it was the one evangelical church in a city of what, 80,000, 100,000? I don't know. Newton's big. A lot more churches have sprung up since then, wonderfully so. But I would watch students go through with no witness to the gospel, and it bothered me. So Kelsey and I, we met. Well, we did Young Life. We got assigned to each other. We got married. Yay. (laughs) That's the other thing about, anyways, yeah, season of surrender, season of sacrifice. You have no idea how Jesus is going to bless you in your season of sacrifice. It's amazing. So I pray for my students. And wouldn't you know, my my normal MO was to, um, so I had sophomores. So I'd get to know them as sophomores, and then when they were juniors and seniors, I could invite them to Young Life, and it wouldn't be weird, because I just, you know, I couldn't have students wondering, you know, does my grade, you know, matter on whether Mr. Hubacher thinks I'm following Jesus or not? You know, can't do that in public school. So, honey, I was just talking about Young Life and how we met there while you are out of the room. <clears throat> awesome. <laughs> no, sorry. Yeah, you don't need an explanation, but I just wanted you to know that <laughs> I was bragging about you. So my last year, as I mentioned, 06, 07, I'm getting, you know, Sean's asking me, you know, launch the harbor. I'm like, no, 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 um, until Jesus shows up. And, um, but I got, I got some students that I just really want them to know Jesus. One of them is this great kid, football player. He's just a good kid. And uh, he's like one of the guys that you just want, you're like, oh, you're such a good kid. Like, you just need to know Jesus because like your character's all there. And like, would you just come to Jesus? It'd be awesome. But I'll, 
But all I do is pray, and I pray, and I pray. So a lot of students have, you know, I, I'm not in touch with. But just last year, I find one of my former students on LinkedIn. And, you know, just from his, his um, like, resume, I'm like, man, uh, this kid who I said I really enjoyed, I was like, um, I just wonder where he's coming from. So we end up, you know, we both have our cell numbers on LinkedIn. And so we end up starting to connect. And he's like, I want to hear you preach. And I had, you know, had, this is, I'm like, okay, where are you coming from? Because again, from his resume, I'm just thinking this is a highly academic heckler who wants to um, just kind of undo me, you know, or like challenge me. So wouldn't you know, last August, you know, you saw Colin who is here. I sit down to lunch with Colin and we end up having lunch for two and a half hours. And Colin is a Jesus man. And I was just so blown away. You know when the atmosphere shifts because heaven shows up? So remember, I knew Colin as this punk, a good kid who I wanted to know Jesus. Could never get him to do anything, but I prayed for him. That's all I could do because, you know, my hands were tied. But I had a rhythm of mountain-moving prayer and an expectation that God would do something. So 10, 13 years later, so just last summer, I sit down with Colin, who you saw, and I just cannot believe. I had to pinch myself. I'm like, out of Colin's mouth is coming heaven is coming Jesus. And he was not that way as a student, (laughs) although he was a good kid. God does stuff. God moves people by prayer alone, even when your hands are totally tied. And I know, because I know the brilliance in this room, you're very gifted people. You're in situations, you know, the offices that you work in, the organizations that you're with. I understand that sharing about Jesus isn't the most politically correct thing to do these days, but they can't stop you from praying and you can get after it. Amen? So mountain-moving prayer. All right, I said three more things. That was, that was one. All right, second thing is, sorry. Okay, clock. Mark said 12.15 to me. That registers like 2.15. So just kidding. We'll wrap it up. We'll wrap it up. Mountain-moving prayer. Okay, the other marker, season of sacrifice. The marker is prayer, and the other marker that they're already inviting you to is pushing the envelope for evangelism, okay? Push the envelope. What is your envelope? Just push it. Push the envelope for evangelism, okay? And like Mark said, it's more about care for souls. You know, whether you prefer confrontational, power evangelism, relational, whatever. Like it's more about the care for souls. But just ask the Lord, you know, push that envelope. What is it that God's inviting you to do? What is it that God's inviting you to do in terms of evangelism? You know, when Mark came on the scene a few years ago, I got really pumped about DBS, Discovery Bible Study. Right? If you're in the training school, I think they talk about this, missiologist, kind of all that's going on in Asia, all that's going on in, in the Middle East. It's, it's this just approach, you know, here's your friend, invite him to read the scripture, read a chapter. What does it say about man? What does it say about God? And what do I need to obey? And I was like, I want to start doing that with people here. And so I started doing it. I mean, I've, I've been in different offices. I've been in different situations with some former students, not Colin. He's already good. He knows the Lord. But um, with, with uh, different people, I just, what I would do is I, I would just identify their gifting. You know, like, wow, you seem like you're a really powerful leader. Have a couple lunches. Let's talk about leadership. Wow, you're a good leader. Somewhere there, there's a pivot where it's like, you know what? For me, you know, you know I'm a follower of Jesus. The Bible actually says a lot of great things about leadership. Can we look at some scriptures? And, and together, I would photocopy a passage of, this, of the Bible because I didn't want to weird them out, you know, especially at a, you know, if you're at lunch and you're in the office, you don't want to... You know, like, let's do this, you know? So 
photocopy the scripture. Let's talk about it. And I was amazed. Actually, one of my former students was one of the best ones at like the revelation that was coming to him. And I, and you know, he's not, he hasn't crossed the line yet. I need to still follow up with him. But man, that was my envelope, was inviting people into DBS because I wanted to obey Matthew 20 and 18 to 20 and make disciples. I want to make followers of Jesus. I got to tell you, one of my, one of my, um, on the DBS piece, I know we talked about Tom Brady. I want to tell, I want to talk about another patriot. He used to wear the number 81. And when he was in college, played for Florida, he was um, the best, one of the best wide receivers, tight ends that college football knew. And uh, he would do Bible study because Tim Tebow was one of his roommates and Urban Meyer, his coach, would do Bible study with him. Well, I think you know about who I'm talking about. His name is Aaron Hernandez. He was um, convicted of murder. And, um, and it's likely that he committed at least three murders that we know of. And Aaron Hernandez was uh, put in jail, I think, in 14 or 13 or 14. I can't remember. 2013, 2014. Well, Mark gets mail fired about DBS. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do a DBS with correspondence with Aaron Hernandez. Because I'm sure he's getting lots of fan mail, but who's telling him about Jesus? Because I know that he has roots about Jesus. Like I know he's had Bible studies with Tim Tebow and um, Urban Meyer, but I don't know where he's at. Like it doesn't look like his heart's in the best place. I remember visiting my, my wife's family's from Walpole. So we're in Walpole. And when you're in Walpole on a Sunday and the wind's blowing a certain way, you can hear the Patriots games going on. That's what reminded me. I'm like, I'm gonna write Aaron Hernandez right now. So we write a letter to Aaron in prison and Aaron writes back. And I, because I'd written him, I said, Aaron, I, you know, here's me, here's my father's story. I didn't lose a father like you did as a teenager, but um, I, you know, my father left in seventh grade and, um, you know, I got, got my pain. So Hernandez writes me back and he says, dude, like he actually more starts to play the counselor to me and is like, oh my gosh, poor guy. You know, like, like that must've been tough with your father things, which I was cool with because I just figured, you know, you're in prison, like it gives him something to, he probably would enjoy loving on people. But he wasn't totally on board with the DBS. He says, I, I don't really want to do that. So I sent another letter back to say, think about it again. <laughs> Let's try this again. And sad, that was about January, February of 2017. And sadly, wouldn't you know, I think if you guys know the Hernandez story, he, he was acquitted of these other two murders. And then he took his own life five days later in the Sousa Baranowska prison. And I'm not trying to glorify, glorify his story. I and mean, the fact is, Odin Lloyd was murdered most likely by him. And um, two other people, two other Cape Verdean um, men lost their lives, likely at Hernandez's hand. So I, I'm not meaning to um, minimize the pain of, or, or I, you know, he's likely a murderer. I understand that. But the reason I share this with you, and the reason I'm bringing this up as far as DBS and evangelism is because, in one sense, Hernandez to me represents every man and, the, and every person. Incredible potential. He was so gifted. I mean, especially him and Gronk together, it was like lights out. Gronk had speed, and her, sorry, Gronk had size, and, and um, Hernandez had speed. They were unstoppable together. This is back like 2012 Super Bowl. And, but sorry, even besides the football part, like the fact is like he, <laughs> Patriots, um, it's all the lens we see through is Patriots. But I mean, the fact is like such a gifted man but with deep wounds. And as some of the, you know, there's three books out on him right now. I just finished one this, this week. I, need, I want to get to the next two. But I mean, it seems like there's some deep wounds in this man's soul. Obviously, something was terribly disordered with him. But my point is this. Is that not every man? Is that not every woman that you're working with, that are your neighbors? 
incredibly made in the image and glory of God and yet deeply wounded. People have lots of pain. Kelsey and I just moved into Newburyport, arguably one of the best communities in our commonwealth from a worldly standpoint. But I just, you know, when I'm hanging around in the coffee shops in Newburyport, I just see people wearing their pain everywhere. Highly successful people. Best houses, best families. But people are wearing their pain. I'm just sharing this to say, in our season of sacrifice, we're praying and we're sharing the gospel because people need Jesus. Because I'm grieved that Hernandez, I'm grieved that we lost him. I'm grieved that, we took his, that he took his own life somewhere there because something wasn't connecting with the gospel. How many Hernandezes are walking around, highly gifted, but highly hurting, and you've got the life they need. Amen? All right, last thing. Let's wrap it up. And James, Mark, and Ben, why don't you guys come up? Just remember this, that the season of sacrifice that Jesus is inviting you into the season of sacrifice that he's inviting you into so that we can project into the next 20 years and see, um, see the kingdom come, right? Not just see, we're not just talking about making an organization better, but we're talking about seeing the kingdom come. Every invitation from Jesus is an invitation to intimacy. Every invitation from Jesus into a season of sacrifice is an invitation to Intimacy. People aren't getting excited about that. Okay. Thank you. Every invitation to a season of sacrifice is an invitation to intimacy. Okay, Lindsay, yesterday, if you're with her, she actually channeled a little Tim Keller. And I love what Tim Keller said. Tim Keller, he had a great stellar career as a seminary professor, but God got a hold of his heart and asked him to plant a church in Manhattan. You know the church is Redeemer Presbyterian. One of the best reflections that I've ever heard from Tim Keller is he said this. He said, we knew that Manhattan needed the gospel. He said, but what I've learned is I needed Manhattan. You know, all the things that are so frustrating about life in Manhattan, he needed that to shape his character. You heard Lindsay, if you were there yesterday, you heard say that about the, she, sorry, you heard her say that about the Sudan. Sudanese needed Jesus. And she had such a privilege of sharing the gospel for the first time with like far out tribes. But as Lindsay shared her story, she needed the Sudan to melt and change and mold her character. That's an invitation to intimacy. I'm telling you, your yes to Jesus, your yes to the season of sacrifice that he invites you in, it's gonna be a yes to intimacy with Jesus. And you'll never be the same. And Boston will never be the same. And BC will never be the same. And BU will never be the same. The Patriots will never be the same. Someone share the gospel. Do you know what I'm saying? Your office won't be the same. That little high school won't be the same because a few people get a hold of, I'm going to sacrifice a little sleep and I'm going to pray. I'm going to sacrifice a little bit of my reputation and share the gospel because that's what Jesus shows up in. That's where he shows up. A few legislators in New Hampshire, they need to know that Jesus loves them. I'm in a season of sacrifice. I get to share that with them. Amen? All right, you guys stand.